0: Let's pray again, and then we'll jump into the Word. Father, would you, uh, would you unveil more of Yourself to our hearts, our souls this morning? Would You give us eyes to see and ears to hear? Uh, would You make Jesus, who He is especially, and what He's done for us more real, more valuable? Would You draw our hearts after Him and you? In Jesus' name, Amen. Guys, we are in this short uh, four-week series, Uh, I Love Sophie, Sophia being the Greek word for wisdom, and tagging on again on the I Love Lucy just as a hook to make it memorable in our minds. And that's fun and it's lighthearted and that's all a good thing. And last week we looked at some really positive elements of what God in the personification of Lady Wisdom, or we're calling her Sophia or Sophie, Uh, in the book of Proverbs, promised to those who would embrace her, who would accept her invitation to come and dine in her household. And it was all upside and it was all great. And this morning we're looking at another side of the personification of God in the guise of Lady Wisdom, primarily in the book of Proverbs, though as you'll see we'll range a little bit far and wide from just the wisdom literature this morning. But there's another side... To Sophia, there's another side to Lady Wisdom and there's another side to God. And this may come across as a little serious and maybe a little heavy. And in some ways, I hope it does in a serious, reflective, helpful way. And we'll see God's grace at the end of this too. But there's a total other side that God presents of Himself and of wisdom, and of wisdom's offer to us that we'll look at this morning in Proverbs. And by way of introduction, Genesis 6, 11-16, I'll read briefly here just from the ESV. But you remember, this is the flood account. And so God's created the heavens and the earth, Adam and Eve. They've sinned, they've fallen, they've been pushed out of the garden. And you know, it's no time at all their children are reproducing, they're filling the earth, they've begun to. And you get to chapter 6, you're barely into the story of humanity, and God says, you know what, I'm sorry I made them. Well, why is that? Well, the earth is filled with violence. Those image bearers of God, they've basically turned, they don't look like God much. And He says, I'm sorry, and I'm going to start over. And so I'm going to send a cataclysmic worldwide flood. And from only the folks, Noah and his kin, and any who should choose to join him in that ark, those are the folks I'm going to start over with cataclysmic flood is coming. And this is from Genesis 6, starting at verse 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that same day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth. So we've got water coming up from below the earth. And the windows of the heavens were opened. So now I've got rain coming down in torrents from above. And rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On that same day, the day the rain starts, Noah and his sons wife, their wives, all the air-breathing animals that are ten, intended to be on the ark, they're all on. They went into the ark with Noah, verse 15, two and two of all flesh that has the breath of life. They entered the ark, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him. Now listen to this phrase, and the Lord shut him in. And the Lord Shut him in. So in your mind's eye, if you can with me, I'm looking at the big ark. It's sitting there on a hill or a plain, whatever. There's stays that are holding it up. And all the animals go in. And an unseen hand closes that door and the ark is closed. And guys, listen, when this happens, there's life in the ark and then there's everything else. And that's all that matters. So an age of the earth and of man's history on it ended when God closed that door. And life as it had been known and as it had occurred, it was all over when that door closed. There was a finality to this. God closes the door. Something has ended. And there's a new beginning that will come, but it's about a year down the road. And so this door, this door being closed, there's some real finality to this. The opportunity to live into the new day that would come about a year later when Noah and his kin get off the ark, the opportunity to be in that group is over. Once and for all over. In 2 Peter 2, verse 5, God calls Noah a herald of righteousness. And put yourself back in that day, 120 years in Genesis 6, maybe the time it took for Noah and the guys to build that ark. And whether that's true or not, it took a long time. So they're building a boat on dry land and of course the neighbors are kind of curious what's going on with this so you can imagine as noah's building the ark he's telling people why he's building a boat on dry land because god has said he's going to flood the earth in his great judgment he's going to start over so noah with every plank that goes on with every peg that goes into every board with every year that rolls by as that thing grows noah is preaching to everyone around him about what's coming and there's going to be a moment of finality when the ark is done. And all these years, everybody that's seen that going on, they're hearing God's call, and if you will, thinking of our study, Lady Wisdom's call, get on the boat. If you want to live, you better get on this boat. Because once that door closes, your opportunity is gone forever. Forever. Think of this too. It didn't matter how remorseful a person was when that rain started. Didn't matter how they felt. Didn't matter how sorry they felt. Oh gosh, the rain started. I wonder if this is what he was talking about. It didn't matter how badly they felt about their choice and its results for their family when the flood water started, maybe coming up around their feet. And it didn't matter how loudly they cried out for help when the ark was lifted off its resting place and carried on the ocean waves. None of that mattered once that door closed. It's irrelevant because the time for salvation was over and friends, they were not saved. The opportunity for salvation had come, it was over, and they were not saved. If you've ever watched the movie The Bible, the old John Huston movie from the mid-60s, there's a powerful scene in there where the ark is lifted and they're in, And they hear this noise and Noah's wife says, what's that noise? Is that the wind? And he says, no, it's the voice of the perishing. Because that's what's going on. There's a profound verse in Jeremiah 8.20. It's sort of on the same theme. Different imagery. You know, Jeremiah has been warning them about the judgment of God to come. You're going to go into captivity in Babylon. You guys need to repent. And Jeremiah and the other prophets say it over and over and over again. And Jeremiah says this in... 8.20, the harvest is past. the summer is ended, and we are not saved. The summer has come, the opportunity to, to plant the right crop and then the harvest to bring in the right harvest, that's come and it's gone. And Jeremiah's conclusion is, and we are not saved. Like the folks outside the ark, the opportunity had come and it was over and they were not saved. Does this sound a little heavy? It's profound, isn't it? It's totally serious. Last week when we looked at wisdom, we see this gracious woman. And she is basically offering herself and everything she has to give. And it's all worth having. It's all, she's worth knowing. And what she has is worth having. And it's all grace and it's generosity. And, and it's coming. I'll give you this great stuff. But today, with that as an introduction, we're looking at the other side of Lady Wisdom, of Sophia. And again, by extrapolation, Wisdom's God, because again, this is all a personification of God Himself. You know, there's an old axiom that says, hell has no fury like a woman scorned. Hell has no fear like a woman scorned. Now, I suspect that this is sort of a a poke, a jab at maybe the, the lower, worse side of the female sex, but there's some truth in there, isn't there? That you could take a woman who who really is full of love, and she really has her heart set on this guy, right? And she would do anything for him. And yet, if she is spurned by that guy, and you'll see this sort of in some of the tragedy kind of stories you can read in history or in literature, if she is scorned, doesn't that love, that extravagant, gracious love, doesn't it often turn into this embittered hatred, right? And that's sort of what the axiom is about. With all the love that she had to give on one hand, there's, it love's opposite on the other if she spurned and rejected. And what I want to say this morning about Sophia, about Lady Wisdom, and again, by extrapolation of God Himself, there's another side to Lady Wisdom, to Sophia, than her grace and goodness poured out on us. And it's a little bit like a woman scorned. And when I say that, I don't mean in a small-minded way, I don't mean in a little or belittling way. Sophie is not to be had on our terms and in our own sweet time. Lady Wisdom is to be had on her t- terms and in her times. And by extrapolation, God is to be had. His offers are to be accepted on His terms and in His times. Friends, you know that we live in a time and a place in which if you speak negatively about someone else's lifestyle or their moral choices, and by the way, what choices are moral anyway? It's all the same, isn't it? Uh, We're castigated. But God says there is something that's right and there's something that's wrong. And sometimes for us it feels a little bit embarrassing even when we talk about moral judgments. And do you cringe a little bit if someone asks you, do you really believe that God would send anyone to hell, eternal separation from Him forever? Do you cringe a little bit, maybe as I do sometimes? Because it sounds so negative? But you remember, we've said God is is love perfectly, isn't He? In fact, 1 John says God is love. You and I know nothing about love apart from God Himself. But we also saw in a series not long ago that not only is God love, but God loves perfectly. And what else does He do perfectly? He hates perfectly, right? We saw that in Proverbs primarily. God is the God of all love. All love that we know comes from Him. God hates, though, with the perfection of His love, He also hates. There's the opposite side. And He's told us the kinds of things that He hates. So if we say God hates, we cringe initially, don't we? Or if we tell someone else God hates things, they're like, no, God is love. No, God is both. We get this wrong going and coming. And so we want to bring our minds, our thoughts, into line with what God says about Himself through Himself and also through the persona of Lady Wisdom. So as a reminder of what God offered in Himself and His wisdom last week, let me give you a brief rundown. Wisdom would, if embraced, if wisdom's embraced, wisdom would love us, defend and protect us, give us long life, insight to live it well. Wisdom would enable us to make wealth, to give us honor, to build up our homes and to bless our children. Wisdom would give us hope for the future, freedom from fear, and restful sleep wisdom would make God himself our confidence and our helper wisdom was to be preferred over mere wealth because wisdom would give us the ability to make wealth again if needed and then the ability to use it wisely so this week we're not looking at that side of wisdom we're looking at wisdom spurned and God as it were spurned also if you have a Bible Proverbs 1 is the place to park for a little bit here at least In Proverbs 1, verses 20 through 23, Lady Wisdom is out there doing what she does. She's in the marketplace, the gates, the city streets. She's every place we are. And she's yelling. She's getting people's attention. And she's saying, Come in here. Buy into my wisdom. Buy into what I have to give you. And I want to pick up at verse 24, verse 24 through verse 32. And this is a passage that is filled with very, very, very intentional literary construction. So this isn't sort of some haphazard thing that God or Solomon sort of wrote down in their spare time. This is filled with intentionality by the very construction of this passage. And listen to the other side of Lady Wisdom. Listen to what Wisdom says when scorned. Verse 24, "...because I have called..." And you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand, and no one has heeded. Because you've ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm, and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. Think of the ark and those who didn't get on board. When distress and anguish come upon you, verse 28, then they'll call on me and I won't answer. They will seek me diligently, but won't find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Would have none of my counsel despised all my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. Let me just point out a few things that are true about this passage. If you notice from verses 24-27, through the pronouns are all you and your. You and your. So wisdom is facing the person, or facing you and me, and is making these offers and this declaration to us personally. You and your. And your, But do you notice what happens at verse 28? There's no you and your. It's all they and their. And do you know what that means? It means wisdom is turned away from the people she was talking to and she's now addressing an audience to say I'm drawing your attention to these people that I just made this offer to that have rejected it. So wisdom's not talking to the people that have spurned her anymore. She's turned her back on them and she's talking to us as an audience now. So seven times in the first half, it's you and your. And seven times in the second half, it's they and there. She's turned her back. Four times in the first half, there are four causes for Lady Wisdom to spurn those who have spurned her. And there's four more causes in the second half. So they refused to listen. They didn't heed. They ignored counsel. Took none of the reproof. That's the first half. The second half hated knowledge. Didn't choose the fear of the Lord. Wouldn't accept counsel or reproof. Four and four. And guess what's right in the middle? There are seven calamities in the middle. And you know, we said Lady Wisdom's house has seven pillars, right? Because it's perfect. Seven represents completion and perfection. So this house has seven pillars. Well, guess how many calamities are coming on these folks that have spurned Lady Wisdom? Seven. So calamity, terror, storm, calamity, whirlwind, distress, and anguish. What Wisdom is saying is you are going to get destruction in its fullness. And that's all you're getting. You're going to get destruction completely because you've rejected Me. You've rejected My counsel and this is all you have left. Sophie's conclusion here is the willfully naive are destroyed by their own recalcitrance, by their refusal to accept her offer. And the offer, of course, has been repeated. She's been yelling. She's been getting their attention. The morally slothful or the morally lazy, the one who simply wouldn't rise to accept this offer to feast with Lady Sophie, will end up in destruction. And Sophie will laugh at their calamity, mock at their terror. She will refuse to answer. She will not be found or make herself available to them. Again, think of the door on the ark Closing, the opportunity is over. It's gone. You've made your choice and you're in or you're out. Their time to accept her offer had come and gone. And last, those who are destroyed will reap the fruits of their own choices. Sophie had something to give positively. Many things to give actually. But they've refused those so all they have left is the fruit of their own choices. That's what's left to them. Let me highlight this with a couple other passages. Hopefully you've got a study sheet Proverbs 8.36, I remember reading as a still relatively young Christian, and it struck me, that the second half of that is, he who fails to find me, wisdom speaking here, injures himself. Okay, I get that. All who hate me, wisdom says, love death. Now, if you talk to guys who are just living the party life like I used to do, and we're going about living our life having fun, would you say, if you talk to them, do you think they'd say, "I love death?" They wouldn't. No way. They'd say no, "I love life. I'm having a good time." But wisdom says, if you don't embrace her, you in fact do love death, and death is what you'll get. By your actions, you're showing that you prefer death to life. You love death if you refuse wisdom. I'll let you read Proverbs 9:18. Uh, Proverbs 29.1, again, this sense of finality, he was often reproved, yet stiffens his neck, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. Have you known people in your life where one person and another has gone to them and warned them about where their life looks like it's going to take them? And it's, no, I'm okay. It's, no, I'm okay. It's, no, I'm okay. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. Until the last word you hear about them is what's befallen them, the divorce, the financial distress you know, the loss of children or whatever, uh, where there's this opportunity after opportunity, but eventually the opportunities are over. And this verse says broken beyond healing. In other words, at this point, there's no remedy left. All they get is the fruit of what they've chosen consistently spurned wisdom and all the reproofs that were offered. All they have left is what's broken. Proverbs five eleven through 14. I'll let you read on your own as well, but it's the voice of the young guy who said no thanks to wisdom. And wisdom says, this is what he says. And he's crying to mama. And mama's not there. That's Proverbs 5. So the gracious woman, Sophie, who would have poured out every blessing on them, would have showered them with lavish gifts, would have feted them at her table laden with all the best food, all the best wine. She's been spurred, spurned. And the, the response then becomes, I'm going to leave you to your own devices, and trouble is coming upon you, and I won't be there to bail you out. Sophie is not a desperate woman wringing her hands, hoping we'll answer her call. She is a majestic power who will not be trifled with. And of course, what's true of Lady Sophie wisdom in Proverbs is true in spades of the God that she represents. Let me go directly to God spurned. Some texts that speak not now in metaphor or simile, through the personification of God and wisdom, and now directly about God Himself. And the two things that I hope you're picking up this morning, both are important. One is that God gives us opportunity, windows of opportunity in our life to respond to Him about all kinds of things. And, and this isn't a static one-issue thing. I mean, we're talking about everything from the offer of salvation to the offer of the kind of person to marry, the school we go to, The decisions we make that end up making us. So there's opportunity in our life on all kinds of things. There are time frames. But of course, as we age and we go on and we make our decisions, those opportunities, some of those we're leaving behind, aren't we? We've made some decisions. We're leaving those behind. We're going to gain the fruit of those decisions. That's one thing. And the other is that we end up with the fruit of our choices. We end up with the fruit of our choices. So related to the time element and how that shapes us and some of the impacts that might have on us. Whether we're talking about salvation, and at the end of the day, of course, this is all that matters. You know, if we are the thief on the cross, and we have lived a lousy life, and we wake up in paradise after being crucified, that was a pretty good day, right? If I end up in paradise with Jesus, eternal heavens and earth coming... And no matter how bad my life was right before and how painful my death was, that was a pretty good day. Wake up in paradise. That is the most important thing. Obviously, any time, period. But this same thing applies in spades on all the little kinds of decisions you and I make in life about smaller spheres of life as well. Psalm 32.6, David says this, related to time, opportunities, windows of opportunity, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Do you know there are times in your life and mine when God may be found related to one thing or another, and there are times when he may not be found? So, David says you better pray when he's available to hear and answer that prayer because that window of opportunity will come in some things. And, guys, by the way, I meant to say this at the beginning this is heavy, it's serious. And that's the Scripture, and that's God, so I make no apology for that. On the application, if, if any of this is fuzzy, or if you say, Mike, I disagree with this, or what does that really look like, hey, I'm all ears, I'd love to talk with you, okay? So we're, we're talking about two profound dynamics that have very wide-ranging application, and it's hard to do justice to all of that in the short time frame we have here. Uh, But there's a time God may be found and related to some things, there are times in which God may not be found just like wisdom said. It's going to be too late. Isaiah 55.6 Leaving the wisdom literature of the Old Testament into the prophets, Isaiah said, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call on Him while He is near. Isaiah again a prophet talking about judgment to come. And knowing that judgment was coming, Isaiah says, Hey, talk to Him now. Because if you repent, judgment may be delayed. In fact, do you remember in the life of Hezekiah? God said He made him a promise. Hezekiah was a godly guy. Made some mistakes, no doubt about it. But God says the trouble that will come, it won't come until your lifetime is past. And that was God's choice to bless Hezekiah. It didn't come in his lifetime. That was God's bounty. It was His largesse to Hezekiah for Hezekiah's faithfulness. Hebrews 3 uh, is uh, really important on this. Hebrews is all about warning. People who have come to embrace Christ don't fall away. And the backdrop to almost all of the text, the stories, the warnings in Hebrews are the Old Testament Exodus account. And so in chapter 3, the writer of the Hebrews is using that Old Testament Exodus account to warn professing Christians in their day, don't do what those folks did back then. Be careful. Take a a lesson from what they did. Don't repeat the same mistake. So the writer says in Hebrews 3, starting at verse 7, uh, the Holy Spirit saying, today if you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion or on the day of testing in the wilderness. Don't act like Israel in the wilderness saying, we'll listen to you another day. Lord, today we're going to take our pleasures... We're going over to Moab. We're going to hang out with the gals over there. We're going to bow down a little bit to to Baal there and have a good time. But Lord, we'll listen to you tomorrow. And so the writer here is saying, don't do what they did. Don't make that same mistake. If you hear his voice today, don't harden your heart. The Spirit's speaking. Later down at verse 12, take care, brothers. This is the application of them lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today. He closes this passage saying today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Have you or have you known people who have said again to God or to your spouse or to your friends, "Uh, tomorrow I'll start that. I'll take care of that issue tomorrow or next week or next month or next year you know god's convicting me about something and i know i should change and i'm just not ready to well this writer all over this issue about today that if you hear god speaking to you today today is the time to make a decision one of my favorite c.s lewis books is called the great divorce and it's a story where souls from sort of a kind of purgatory hell environment they get to take a bus trip to heaven if you haven't read this one i hope you will and one of the characters there is being uh, admonished by an angel to choose heaven in part by getting rid of a demon, a little lizard on his shoulder, the, the demon of lust. And the guy's saying, well, couldn't I just put this off another day? Couldn't, I just, couldn't we talk about this another time? And, and the angel, Lewis through the angel, profoundly says, all moments are contained in this moment. That's just like this. If you hear God speaking today, the writer says, you better listen today. You know none of us knows we have the rest of today. You know that? You don't know that you'll be alive tomorrow. You know, depending on your eschatology, maybe the rapture's later today. I'd, I'd be up for that. Lunch and the rapture. Mark that on my calendar. I'm good to go. We don't know that we have the rest of today or tomorrow. So God says when we hear His voice, when Lady Sophie Wisdom calls to us, we better take note, and we should do it when she calls. When we hear When we get this sense of inclination and I'm convicted and this is the right thing, this is the way I should go. Robert Frost, uh, great poet in many ways. Uh, One of my favorite poems from his early days is called The Road Not Taken. And, uh, you know, there's I'm in the woods, I'm taking a walk, you know, and, and two paths diverged in a yellow wood. And sorry, I couldn't travel both. And we be one traveler long I stood and then I'm making up my mind. There's two paths in the wood. I've got to choose one or the other. And then he closes the poem by saying uh, two roads diverged in the wood and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that's made all the difference. That's us with the choices you and I are making either big term lifetime related salvation. Yes or no. Or little, little term related to the decisions we're making in various arenas of life. There's two options in front of me. Folly and wisdom. God and everything that's not God. And I'm making my mind up. And the thing is, related to time, when I choose the left path instead of the right, I can't go back and get the right one again. Do you know what I mean? I can't start over. I can't reverse the wheels of time. I made a choice. And that choice over time ends up making me And related to the opportunities, those windows God gives us as we make decisions, they're one way. These are one way streets. You cannot go back and undo those decisions we made yesterday, last week, last year. And those decisions end up in time making us as well. Think of this. Over time, it's not just that I told a few lies, but I've become characterized as a liar. Right? Right? One lie's just one lie today, and, and maybe it's one or two tomorrow. And do you see, over time, that ends up shaping who I am. It shapes my character, shapes what I'm like, what I'll be more likely to do in the future. It's not simply that I've practiced excess, but now I'm morbidly obese. That's a chronic challenge in this country. I have liver damage from abuse of alcohol. I have a sexually transmitted disease. You know, some of those you can't get rid of right? Some of of those STDs, they're lifetime. They just keep going. They just keep going like the ever-ready bunny. Or I'm living under crushing debt. You see, over time I've made decisions and those decisions have now made me or they've affected what I'm doing or how I'm living life or able to. It's not just that I've refused the gospel, its claims, but I've become, excuse me, hardened Such that there's no reception for its warnings. You know, God talks, and I love the language in the Old Testament. He says uh, in Ezekiel, He says, I'm going to take your old stony heart and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. Well, it's because a stone is hard. It's impervious to whatever might come upon it. God says, no, you need a soft heart. Well, guys, when we say no to God over time, especially about the Gospel, we're hardening our heart. We're making it harder harder and harder, more and more impervious to God's claims or to His offers. And finally, it's not just that I've made some poor decisions, it's that I've rejected wisdom and wisdom's God, and I've been left with the fruit of those unwise and unholy decisions. Yeah. Sit on that for a minute. Related to the fruit of decisions over time, God does give us the fruit of our choices Uh, Job 4, back to the wisdom literature, Job 4 verse 8 says, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble, they reap the same. And you guys know there's a dynamic in this cosmos that God has put together, and we say it's about sowing and reaping. It's profound, and and it's non-breakable. So Job says, I've seen this, the person that sowed, They practiced iniquity and trouble. And I know, Job says, they're going to end up getting that same thing back. That's going to be the crop they reap. Psalm 19.11, conversely, David, talking about God's precepts, says, "...by them your servant is warned, in keeping God your precepts there is great reward." When I bend my ear and my heart to what God says, God says, do this Mike, don't do that Mike. David says, I reap reward. I reap something worth having. I reap something I'm glad for. That's the other side. Proverbs 22.8 Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity. Galatians 6.7 and 8. Ecclesiastes 12. uh, I'll let you read those on your own. More of the same. Revelation 22.12 I will read this one. This is winding all things up. This is important. You know, we've said last words are important, aren't they? So the last book of the Bible, last chapter of the Bible, some of the last words of the Bible. Jesus says, "Behold, I'm coming soon," and "soon" doesn't necessarily mean chronologically in the sense that it's uh, it's this afternoon or it's this evening. It could mean that, but it also means quickly. It means it'll happen when it happens, just like the flood. Imagine the people. So that boat, it's taken a long, long time to build, right? But once it's built and the rain starts and the floods come up from the ground, that's happening in a very short period of time. It's happening quickly. And Jesus says He's going to come quickly. When He starts coming back, guys, in other words, it's too late to make your mind up then. Okay? It's happening quickly. When He starts descending from heaven, it's over in a moment. And He says... I'm coming quickly, I'm bringing my reward with me to repay everyone for what he has done. We are meant to see this is a high and lofty king. And and this is imagery we're not used to, right? Because we're a democratic republic and, and there's no king that's ruling over us, King George or anyone else, but we will submit to a king in the future. And King Jesus will come back. And when he says reward, this is positive and negative. This is positive to those who chose his side and his kingdom. And it's negative to those who chose the other side, the losing side. He's a great king. He's going to come back and he's bringing his reward with him. So we're going to reap the benefits of the choices we've made. Again, thinking of reward, its conclusion. So as we saw through the persona of Sophia, Lady Wisdom in Proverbs, you also see directly spoken of God here. God gives a period of time in which He graciously, mercifully, and I would say over and over and over, God is not mean, He's not stingy, He wants to bless, that's His propensity. He gives us opportunities to make choices, but they are locked in time for us. Many of them. And then in the end, God will give us the fruits of our own choices. The choices we've made will end up making us. What I don't want to say at the end of the day and what I don't want any of us here to say at the end of the day is I chose folly instead of wisdom. I chose Kessie instead of Sophie. I chose the world's version of life instead of God's. I chose myself and my desires over the God of life. And all I have to look forward to is the fruits of those choices. And guys, it's always some variation on this theme. It's death. However you phrase that, whatever that looks like in your life, it's always some element of death. Now, <clears throat> where where do we go with this? Should we just, we'll just let this sit on us for a moment. And this is what God says right about Himself. It's what the Scripture says about wisdom and about Himself. And so this is profound. It's heavy. It's significant. And it's real. And it's as real as the people who didn't get on the ark. That's how real it is. Not it's not a funny story. It it's not you know the little why animals in the ark it's real right there were people that didn't get on the ark and they died this is how real and how significant how important the message on wisdom is so we're set that's settling in and okay so now let me let me close with this there is an exception you know on one hand you say the law of sowing and reaping is unbreakable and in and in a very very important sense it is it's absolutely unbreakable but there's a twist on that theme there's a silver lining in the rain cloud And it's this, if someone could take the fruit, the crop, the harvest I planted, but don't want now, that might be a good thing. In fact, I'll bet I'll bet for all of us in here, that would be a very good thing, wouldn't you? So in Isaiah 53 verses four and six, and of course, this is the singular most important passage in the Old Testament that that profoundly and uh, succinctly describes Jesus crucifixion on the cross. It's about a transfer of ownership of the fruits of the crops of someone's life. So, listen to this language. Speaking of Jesus, looking forward, Isaiah sees Him. Speaking of Jesus the Messiah, surely He has borne, not His griefs, but our griefs. He has carried our sorrows, your sorrow, my sorrow, Yet we esteemed him uh, stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. We said, Man, that poor guy, he must have done something really bad. Because look at how he's being treated. And so he says, No, he was wounded for our transgressions. He's taking the whooping you and I deserved. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Did Jesus? Was this the fruit of His decisions? His poor lifestyle? His lousy choices? No, no, no. This is the exception to the rule of sowing and reaping. Paul says it this way succinctly in 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake He made Him, the Father made the Son, to be sin who knew no sin, that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Now I'm really, really thankful for this. And I hope you are too. That in this arena, by this means, I don't have to reap the ugly crop of death that I've planted. That Jesus took my iniquity on the cross and yours. They weren't His. He voluntarily said, Father, I'll take the crop they sowed. I'll take the death they chose instead. And I'll give them what I have to give. I'll give them life instead. So when Jesus came to the earth to save sinners, He did so by taking the fruit of eternal death we deserve for sowing the seeds of sin and death. He took the deadly crop we planted. He accepted the calamity. Think of the folks that rejected Lady Wisdom. He accepted the calamity our choices brought about and He suffered the anguish of our God-rejecting, folly-loving ways. The rare exception to the law of sowing and reaping and it's in Jesus' crucifixion and then His resurrection. We can do ourselves a favor. And guys, just as a general rule, you know we, and I mean me, and I mean you, we're messed up. And we make, we make lousy decisions all the time. And you know, if any of our sins were laid out in one moment for everyone else to see, would we shrink in terror or what? Uh, but God knows all that, doesn't He? And He's offered us Himself anyway. And just like Noah, God says, build the ark, get in, and you're going to live. And in Jesus' offer here, this exception of the rule, God says, hey, you accept Christ, and He accepts your punishment, your death, and you're going to live. And we want to take advantage of that. Let me encourage you with this. While there are things, there's things in my life and yours, I'm sure, that we look at and we say, you know what? When God gave me the opportunity to make a wise choice, I didn't. I made a lousy choice. And I'm living with those consequences now. And the silver lining in that dark cloud is this. God says He'll go through that difficulty with us. And that in ways that only He can, He'll bring some kind of redemption out of it. It won't take all the pain away. It won't take all the sting away. You'll still wish you'd chosen wisdom. I don't want to take away the severity of reaping the fruit of our own choices on one hand. But God can come in and He'll suffer with us through that. And He'll bring us out and He'll give us hope for a better day in the future if we belong to Him. He says He'll do that in Romans 8. I'm good with that. But the truth is, I'd rather reap the crop, the fruits of honoring God by making wise choices, by embracing Him in those opportunities He gives me because that honors Him and it blesses me. There's no downside to that. And lastly, if you haven't given the fruit of your sin to Jesus, today would be a good day to do it. Today. Every day. This day. Today. If you're hearing His voice, don't harden your heart. Today is the day of salvation. Don't assume you've got tomorrow or next week or next month or next year. Get in the ark while the door's open. Accept the offer while the offer's there. Father, thank You so much for loving us beyond our sins. And Lord Jesus, uh, there are not words to express uh, adequate thanks for you taking the crop of death we've sown. And Lord Jesus, you'll eternally bear in the scars in your body the the uh, testament to your love for both the Father and for us as you took the iniquities that were ours onto yourself. You took our death and you offer us life. and And Father and Lord Jesus, by your Spirit, would you help us to walk in the way of wisdom would you give us the soft heart of flesh whereby we can hear your voice and respond God for those hurting today because of foolish decisions in the past would you give a sense of hope in the ways you will work through that and father for those here today who don't know you would you help them to open the doors of their heart and to embrace both wisdom and and wisdom's God in the Lord Jesus and His offer of salvation. Lord, we humbly, joyfully thank You. In Jesus' name, amen.